0: Welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast where we explore Scottish history and nature.
1: I'm Jenny. And I'm Annie. And in this series, we've bladded with my lovely Granny and Papa, who have told us wee nuances of the mid-20th century in rural Scotland.
0: In this episode, we're going to be learning about the role of the blacksmith, or the smiddy, as your grandfather calls it. Um, And we'll delve into the wider culture, mythology, and history of blacksmiths in Scotland. But first, let's start off nice and simple for anyone who isn't familiar with rural trades.
1: Annie, what is a smithy? Okay, so a blacksmith is a metalsmith who makes or fixes items, usually out of iron or steel, by forging them. Now, my grandfather will explain it so much better. Can you describe a blacksmith to someone that's never been to a smiddy and doesn't know what a blacksmith is?
2: Well, it's just somebody that has to form different shapes in the fire with an anvil, with red hot metal, you can. Aye. That's, I mean, what else can you do? <laughs> That's what the blacksmith does. makes the men his shoes horses, of course. makes the shoes and knocks them on, so Aye. that is all blacksmithing. <laughs> Repairing implements, plows again, like laying socks. The socks is the bit that digs into the ground. They all get worn off and you need to weld bits on in the fire.
0: I love this description. To make shapes with the anvil, with fire and with red hot metal. In so much Scottish history, we stumble across the uses of fire as something more than just practical. Fire is critical in both survival and tradition, but also comes up prominently in myth and folklore.
1: Yes. And I think we've found some really beautiful mythologies about the blacksmith to stoke this fire. When I was wee, I used to run round my grandfather's Smiddy, and more than anything...
0: Wow, health and safety was really, really different back then.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, one time he made me and my brother, and we must have just been maybe four and six. (laughs) He made us these wee swords out of iron. (laughs) And they were really pointy But they were only wee swords (laughs) And my mum came home And she was so appalled And she hid the swords from us Because she thought that they'd be really dangerous And then I spent the rest of my childhood On a quest To (laughs) to get these swords back I think because we were forbidden to play with them Did you ever find them? Multiple times And multiple times they were hidden (laughs) from me as well The almost
0: of swords of Annie's childhood (laughs)
1: The heat of the blacksmith, often smoke and the hissing of water, and then the scent, because it is such a strange smell in the blacksmith. Mm. It's a mixture of the smokiness from the forge and a kind of sweet, bitter smell of burnt hoof from when Papa was putting on the horseshoes. Oh. Because you see, my papa was not just a blacksmith, he was also a farrier. Ah, okay, yes. So,
0: a blacksmith does all sorts of metal work, but a farrier is a particular trade, right? That's the person who makes shapes and applies horseshoes and horseshoes only.
1: Yes. So, horses wear shoes when they're going to the dancing.
0: Joke. <laughs> uh, Gotta wear... get, got get a little, all those mares, am I right? You know, got, to get... <laughs> mm, got my good dancing hooves on. <laughs> <laughs> check my moves. Ah, uh, Check my moves. Ah. Uh. I'm dancing like a horse right now, but it's not really translating into a podcast. It's no very good, Jenny. I, it's a long <laughs> tale, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a mare.
1: <laughs> no, horses wear shoes to protect their hoofs from wearing down. And when my papa started as a blacksmith, he would have been working with both farm horses of everyday people And also leisure horses kept by both crofters and aristocrats alike.
0: This is my leisure horse. His name is Clarence. And if you could feed him this lemon water while you're hooving him, he would much appreciate it.
1: (laughs) No! So my papa used to tell me (laughs) stories of horse shoeings. And he really did all horses great and small. From big Clydesdales to wee Shetlands. And from all kinds of people across the classes. Now I find these stories really intriguing. And the Smiddy is one of the places that completely shaped me growing up.
0: <laughs> Would you say it forged you as a person, Annie? Really? Knocked your personality into shape? Did, did, did it heat mold you? Did it mold you? Did, did an anvil come down on your being?
1: Let's go back to my papa. <laughs>
2: Well, the the time was, when I started, it was from 8 o'clock in the morning to half past five at night, oh. but you just got half an hour for your dinner, and you'd no break, you'd no in-between, you, you never got, again, they talk about breaks for 10 o'clock and 3 o'clock, you never got any yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. You worked for 8 o'clock to, tw- to 12, and then be half past 12 to half past five, and a lot after that... If the old blacksmith wouldn't wouldn't get you let you away, if there's something needing done you just to it. you never got paid extra for it though.
1: What was the importance of the blacksmith in Scotland in nineteen fifties?
2: Well, put it this way, he was the most important man as far as the farmers were concerned, because the farmers couldn't do their work if they didn't have a blacksmith. Mm-hmm. I mean the plough metal was aye getting worn in the ground. And the cultivators and the rim, the ha, the harrows need to get new teeth made. The harrows the the, the the harrow teeth would last maybe about three or four seasons, but they were having to get renewed. The new teeth in the harrows, and this was all the blacksmiths work. But all that disappeared when modern machinery started. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the when that disappeared, the blacksmith started disappearing too. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, when you first started in the smithy. What kind of things did you make?
2: Oh, the first job you got when you're in the smithy, when I first started with Bob Lory, was making staples again, okay? mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was for knocking into post for putting uh, the gate onto. You know, and there was a, it was just for practice to, for to get you used to working the hammer and the anvil, and then you he, he made a maybe a couple of dozen staples. I didn't like then again once he got into the way of making them, it was quite easy. And then they used to make S hooks. Okay, and the S hooks, they were about that length, but they are the shape of an S. You know, they were circle. Aye. And they were for, if a farmer broke a chain, mm-hmm. he, he, he joined the chain out with the S hook and then just chopped it together. Mm-hmm. Used it for the farmer to go on with his work again. But if you had any time to come to the and get it welded, he had maybe a couple of dozen S hooks. and They used to come in and maybe get, Half a dozen s hooks or half a dozen staples, whatever you wanted, and it was the apprentice's job to make sure there was plenty of them and Once you learnt how to make them, you had to keep topping up the there was drawers for soap for whatever you know s hooks and staples and I... this is what you are. Uh, hmm. that's what you started off in the fire with staples and s hooks and mm-hmm.
1: I find this wee poem in a Berwickshire bard, the songs and poems of Robert McLean Calder, published in 1897. It talks about how the smiddy is the place where everyone in the village wants to meet, is a social place. All right, let's uh, let's crack on. I'm feeling literary. Let's do a wee verse. When around the clacking for the planting
0: to the school, there's no a body stirring, and the gloaming o'er is still. There's aye a grand exception. For at any oor there's sure to be a gathering at the old Smiddy Door.
1: Ah, oh, lovely. And I think this comes from the Smiddy serving so many different people within the rural community that the Smiddy itself becomes like a fountain of the town's knowledge. The blacksmith always knows what's going on. Ah, wee gossips. <laughs> we gossips. We gossipy blacksmiths. And what's brilliant is in so many archives, you see blacksmiths being mentioned as kind of the, the town's storyteller. Oh, yes, yeah. I read um, that blacksmith up in Cave Ness, who was so good at telling ghost stories that all of the Ghost men... horses came to get hoofed there? <laughs> <laughs> all of the men would come to his house... And he'd tell them ghost stories, and then they'd be too afraid to leave.
0: <laughs> they, wow.
1: They all just...
0: Stayed in his house. He was like, <laughs> I really wish you guys would stop coming around and forcing me to feed you and tell you stories. <laughs> Are you at least going to pay me? Or maybe maybe we horse your show your horse while you wait? A,
1: a, wee dram, a, wee a wee dram. A wee dram would do. Lovely. Let's okay. head back to Papa. <laughs>
2: Why did you choose to be a blacksmith? I fancied the job. As I fond I I to the firework, work at the anvil, you know, making raw iron stuff and shoeing horses. I, liked, I, liked, I enjoyed doing that.
1: What did the smithy look like when you were 15? The
2: Smith, well, when I went to the smithy, the, the smithy I served my time in, it was just like an old-fashioned smithy. It was just one big room and two fires working away in an electric welder and things like that again. And I I did my time with this chap, Bob Laurie, at Thornhill. But I'd just done three years with him. I didn't like him. He wasn't... I mean, I was doing the same work three years after I started serving my time. He just needed cheap labour, you know? mm -hmm. So I decided to try my hand at something else. So this... The Martins of Closburn, they were known one near as the king of craftsmen, they were blacksmiths. I used to run a with some of the Martin boys, you of them was about the same age as me, you know. Uh-huh. And I tell them, I, I tell all Ned Martin that I wasn't very happy where I was. And I says, Any nee chance of a job with you? He says, Oh, no, he says, There's five of them, five boys all oh, working in the smithy. He says, We've plenty of workers for ourselves. I says, He says, a, a, a kind of good boy looking for an apprentice, he says I could take you out and in- introduce you so I went well, away out to Castle Douglas and a man, Tom and took me on and he was a better kind you boss than what old bull Glory was, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But I was telling a for about this old Johnny Bruin. No, he was uh, he was the boy at, at the Coddersmuggie, but Jocky McCall, he was the blacksmith. Down in Kirkland. And this all bull bloody. He would set as a tell you before, he sent us off at ten o'clock on a Saturday to shoe a couple of Clydesdales, deals. And when I went through Kirkland Village, the old blacksmith there, he hadn't a car or anything, but I didn't know him, but I saw the old man standing with his message bag, and he was waiting in the bus, anti money eye, you know? So I thought I'll stop and give him a left. So I left it I gave him a left into any money I've and the way he got into the car, he was off oh, can you twist it up again? He's just swing his he's badworth, right? Swing his in a boot and he got his eye on my tools, the, the, the blacksmith's tools and the shoes. And he, <laughs> he says there's <laughs> the way he spoke like and as he got into the car and sat down, he looks at me and he says are you a blacksmith? <laughs> and I says, oh, I am a blacksmith. He says, so am I. I says, oh, I can not. I says, you're joking, joking my call, aren't you? He says, oh, oh, you've heard of me. I says, oh, everybody's heard of you, Johnny. I I and again, they all knew each other, they all blacksmith. So he says to me, he says, you know, he says, I'm retiring in about three months' time. And he says, I'll be heartbroken. He says, I've got two sons and they're no interested in the Smithy. And he says, the McCalls has been in the Kirkland Smithy since before the Battle of Culloden. And he says, I've got pictures, portraits up in the wall in the, in the sitting room of all the blacksmiths that was ever here. they were all McCalls, you know. And he says it even goes back to before the camera was in the go, they were all paintings, you know. And he says, I could follow my ancestry a wee bit, say. Before the bottle of Culloden. And he says, I'll be hurt broken when the smiddy closes. And he says, You know, if I knew some young chap that was interested, <laughs> he says, I would, he says, If you knew some chump, some young chap that's interested, I'll give them a smithy for nothing. I says, Christ, I'm your man, and Johnny. And that's how I started up in business. That's how I got started in business because that, that I met that old man and it's just about three miles for Kirkland, where I picked him up to Money Eye, and that short distance, he gave me that smiddy.
0: And that changed your life, you know, in, in that sense, that was like a real, imp-
2: wow. Ken, okay, I was delighted, and this old man, I just met, I just met him, and he gave it the bloody smiddy for nothing. <laughs>
1: So, in looking into blacksmith mythology, I found something truly weird in a book called *Notes on the Folklore of Northeast Scotland*. Ooh, sounds promising. I like it. I like it. Firstly, and this is a bit of a strange question, Jenny. Do you know what vickets is?
0: What do you take me for, Annie? I am a specialist in ye the diseases that we no longer suffer from because of vitamins. Yes, my grand used to say if we did not eat all our veggies then we would get rickets and actually I don't know what rickets is but it scared me and so I ate all my veggies.
1: But do you know what rickets is now?
0: Uh, Google says that rickets is a condition that affects bone development in children due to lack of vitamin D uh, but some children can also be born with it apparently, it can be genetic. It causes bone pain, weak bones, and can lead to deformities. Rickets used to be way more common back in the day, um, but now a lot of our food is fortified with vitamin D already in the UK, and so it's a lot less common here now. <clears throat> so now I do know what rickets is. Thank you.
1: Anyway, the folks <laughs> of northeast Scotland have a special way of curing rickets. So this source was published in the late Victorian period, but was likely from much before this. So, can you be a rural northeast superstitious Scot from, say, 1790? Like that time period? Yes, I can. Ricketts was cured
0: by laying. The child was taken afore sunrise to a smithy, in which three blacksmiths of the same name wrought. A tub was filled with water, and this water was heated by plunging pieces of hot iron amongst it, until temperatures were raised to that hot enough for a pleasant bath the blacksmith then received the child for the mother and bathed him in the water. He also gave the child a little of the water to drink. After being bathed the young patient was laid on the anvil, and all the tools of the smithy were passed near it one by one, and the use of each tool was explained. A second bath was followed, and no fee was to be exacted.
1: Okay, so for this particular Vicket's cure to work, The folk superstition says that you cannot pay the blacksmith, so the blacksmith must do it out of the goodness of their hearts. Wow,
0: what if the blacksmith's like, this is the fourth Ricketts patient today, people. i got to get shoeing these horses.
1: You need to just eat your vegetables.
0: True. Yeah, so maybe a blacksmith should double up as a veggie salesman. It's a little side business, you know?
1: So this... (laughs) So... (laughs) So the <laughs> Okay, so the folklore states that if the blacksmith takes any fee, then the cure is completely voided. Oh. So they're essentially just giving the child a wee bath, giving them some irony water to drink mm. and then Showing them all the blacksmith tools But
0: it could be like, you know, you're getting an apprentice This is like you get them when they're young You know, like you, you instill that The blacksmith saved my life, gave me a nice bath And hydrated me and taught me all about these fun tools I want to be a blacksmith when I'm older You know, so maybe in the long run It pays off because you have, you know a a, work, a young 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 kids who want to come and work for you Because they remember their lives being saved By a gnarly man in a place that smells like burnt horse food And his kind smile.
1: But this isn't the strangest blacksmith myth that we've found. We also have a story here of a blacksmith and a water kelpie. Now this was a mischievous water kelpie, a spirit of a horse who lives within the water.
0: Oh, have you been to the kelpies down in Falkirk? I went quite recently and for the first time and they are incredible. They're this big, massive sculpture for anyone that doesn't know. Give them a Google or check out our Instagram because I put a picture of them up there.
1: Did you enjoy your trip to the Kelpies then, Jenny?
0: Yes, they were great. They're astounding. If you do come to visit Scotland, they're a must-see for sure.
1: Tell us what they look like for someone who's not on their Instagram right at this minute. They are two horses' heads rearing out of the ground. Don't know how tall
0: they are, but they're massive, big metal sculptures of two Kelpies rising from the water. They're surrounded by a canal. Canal boats can actually go between the Kelpies, which I did not know, which is really cool. Um, The Falkirk Wheel, so another really cool piece of architecture down in Falkirk that's also well worth the visit. Um, bit of, like, engineering magic, essentially. But yeah, if you're down in the area or you're visiting, um, definitely check out them both. Falkirk is a wonderful town.
1: Aye, so the Kelpie in our blacksmith stories looks just like these statues. And this particular tale is about an evil Kelpie who would splash travellers as they passed over the river where he lives. Or trick them into riding upon its back so that he could gallop them into a watery death, as Kelpies are famous for. Ooh. And there's a story of a Kelpie bothering a blacksmith's family. Now, whenever the blacksmith was busy at work, the Kelpie would visit his family at their sheiling and he would terrorise the children and annoy the blacksmith's wife. Mum, 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 mum.
0: Oh, just kidding, it's no your kid, it's a Kelpie, oh, You missed a spot over there.
1: Okay, so the blacksmith (laughs) resolved to capture this kelpie and this greatly frightened his wife because she was worried that the kelpie would manage to trick the blacksmith and carry him off into its pool. You'll never catch me, I'm a magical (laughs) kelpie. Okay, however, we have a very cunning blacksmith. Darn. And he made a special bridle from iron and he put a cross upon it. An ancient legend state that the shape of a cross can bind a Kelpie. So when the Kelpie made his regular appearance... Oh, here to make fun of your wife! <laughs> the blacksmith Ooh. waited patiently in hiding. And when the Kelpie showed himself, the blacksmith took the bridle and with all of his might put it over the head of the Kelpie.
0: Oh no, you've got me! <laughs> I
1: did not see you in that bush! (laughs) And now now the kelpie was captured and it became docile and was forced to help around the farm (gasps) (laughs) moving heavy stones. The folklore says that this kelpie now had to diligently work doing the same amount of work that twelve horses could do. So the blacksmith was very, very glad to have captured the kelpie. Aye, the blacksmith was. I was a regent. One day, the blacksmith foolishly took the bridle off the kelpie, and the kelpie galloped away and cursed the blacksmith for making it pull so many stones. I'm away, you big pillock! <laughs> <To me. laughs>
0: Yonder to the hill, here, get on my back, we're going for a ride. <laughs> And that's the story of the blacksmith and the kelpie. I honestly was on the kelpie's side that whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have told. I kinda, I, I, do love the, the idea of a blacksmith and a kelpie sort of working together on some levels because iron and horseshoes in particular are commonly found in fairy tales and folklore to actually protect against creatures from the mythological dimension. Yes. So, for example, it used to be that a lost horseshoe was one of the luckiest items that you could find because they had so many protective powers. So, if you nailed a horseshoe to your boat, you would protect it from these pesky kelpies. And if you were worried about fairies or witches souring your milk, which was a common worry, let me tell you, back then, very common worry, you could just slip a horseshoe nail into the milking pail and they would be deterred. Although, I would just wash it first. Just give it a good wash after you take it out the horse. Is it like a used horseshoe nail or like an, a new horseshoe nail, you know?
1: I think to be magic, it really should have been used. In the horseshoe, right. Yeah, give that a good wash if you have soap.
0: I don't know, it could be like the 1600s. Did they have soap in the 1600s? Yes. Okay, well, use that soap that you've got back then. And also, you have to remember to remove that nice clean nail from the pail before you make cheese or else you're going to have a really a rough time. Also... If you put your horseshoe under the butter as you turn it, you'll have a healthy cow.
1: (laughs) That's all we want in life, really. Healthy cows. Healthy cows and lucky butter. Let's go back to Papa. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think is the most important qualities for a good man?
2: (laughs) Honestly, I would say. And I mean, I was as honest as I could be that I can think of. I never tell any lies about anybody.
1: Can you describe how the Smiddy smelt and felt? How hot was it?
2: Well, it was hot enough when you were shoeing horses because you had the fire going and you were burning the the red hot shoe at the horses fit so there's plenty of heat there. You're never calling a (laughs) Smiddy.
1: And what did it smell like?
2: Well, just... It was, it was a kind of obnoxious smell for something, but I, I didn't mind it. He got the smell of the burning hoof, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter if you're a week after he would showed horse, he still got this smell lingering, you know, mm-hmm. the smell of the horse's hoof. And it was oh, I quite like the smell.
1: How do you show a horse?
2: Well, the first thing you get to know the horses, but I mean, once they get to know you, they'll lift their feet up for you before you go near them. Mm-hmm. Okay, and once they know what you're wanting, you just need to rub your, your hand in the horse's leg and it'll lift its foot up. For it doesn't put any weight on you. It just lifts its foot for you. And it can. It's what it's supposed to do, you know. And it's, yeah, it's quite interesting when you're doing it. Even if you go over the hips and doing its back leg, it's got its foot up and there, are ready for you to start before you're even ready for it, you can't? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. But they're, I mean, once they get to know what you're what you're wanting, so that's it.
1: What are the last skills of the? Oh,
2: well, there's lots of things we used to make in the smithy. Oh, I'd have a job maybe day, and again, everything's welded in the fire, you know. Mm-hmm. And you to you to know what you're doing. You to get to know your different heats, you know, because you get to a certain heat temperature in the in this uh, with the steel, and if it gets too hot, it starts burning, and it just it just pleases a bit. Mm-hmm. Instead of welding it together, it just disintegrates mm-hmm. the whole shoe, the whole metal just, again, just, it, it kind of, <laughs> you just need to touch it with the an anvil and it falls to bits, mm-hmm. uh, but if it's not the right temperature. But it was easier when it was iron. Again, the iron's softer than the steel. But when, when, when you're working, you see, your shoes were all made of iron mm-hmm. and you used to use, use the iron for... To weld out the toes with a shoe for to give a, a grip gear horse a grip, you know. can, a workhorse. They're about eight inches, nine inches across, and he to weld the shoes, the the the, the, the toe, and with a with an anvil, you know. And it was of course it was far easier when it was iron. He didn't burn it the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see, you've got to imagine you've got two bits of metal. And you have to get them both reed hot, and melting hot again. Okay, uh, and you have to get them onto the anvil. And you gotta put one there and one on the top. Because you need your other hand hammer with. If you've got two bits of hot metal, you've got to be able to hold them on the anvil. And it was as quick as you could go, and then you got your hand, your your hammer, and you chopped it together. Mm-hmm. And it was quite easy once you get into the way of doing it. Mm-hmm. And did you like the horses? Oh, I love I love shoeing the horses. Mm, I'd do nothing else if I, if I could get away with it. But I'm too, too old for that now. <laughs> but I like doing the horses right, you know. Mm-hmm. Especially the Clydesdales, you know. The big ones. They are a big, quiet beasts. Mm-hmm. And you got a bit of satisfaction making their shoes. You see, nowadays, all of these wee ponies, they're all factory-made shoes now. Not the same skill. You get the factory made shoe, you just shape it and fit it on. But when you actually make them, you to even know what length to cut the metal off it for to fit the shoe, for to fit the hoof. Mm -hmm. And it used to be you measured across the foot and you measured the length of the foot, added them two together, and then added two inches for the heels. Again there was heels turned up in the shoe. Uh, and that's the length you cut your metal off it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, a lot of folk wouldn't ever think of that. You can't, nobody would really realise that you've got to be accurate at cutting a bit of metal for it to make a shoe. See, if you don't cut it the right length, it'll never fit the horse.
0: How long would it take you to make one shoe?
2: We used to reckon, in fact, that when I was all Bob Laurie was girning if you took more than quarter an hour to make a pair. Wow. The, they were made in pairs. Mm-hmm. And they reckoned he should be making four pair an hour.
0: So one every seven minutes?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the thing was, it, was, it wasn't it was that hard, because oh, I was the apprentice most of the time, like, but the apprentice's job was chopping the big the shoes with the big hammer, making the stamps, holes in them for the nails, mm-hmm. and heating the shoes up. And the blacksmith, oh, he, he worked at the anvil, and he would have the hat, one half of the shoe made, and he'd he, he, he just to turn round, throw the, throw, throw the shoe in the fire, and that other than that was in the fire should have, would have to be ready for him mm-hmm. just to take out a melting heat, you know. I, I think the apprentice really had the hardest job doing the chopping and heating the shoes at the same time. Mm-hmm. For you were running at the anvil chopping, and then he had the bellows going, and he to, as soon as you were finished chopping, he to run around to make sure the shoes weren't getting burnt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, it was up to you to make sure that the shoes weren't ready for him to come out of the fire. Mm. So I think the, the, I felt that the, the the apprentice got the heaviest skinny work mm-hmm. compared with the blacksmith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: What did you learn in the smiddy?
2: Well, just whatever, what a blacksmith makes. Yeah, Whatever you make, you go to whatever you're asked to make, you just made it. He used to build sheds and you used to make trailers for the farmer. Again, like when it started changing, the smiddy work was changing. It changed over pretty quick, you know, for the horseshoeing and the repairing clues. So you had to move with the times. So I started making tractor trailers. And I made mm-hmm. quite a lot of them and built cattle court sheds, you know. Aye just for something to do, but I mean it was a far different job as actually blacksmithing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You weren't just really blacksmithing then, but you, you're mere a kind of fabricator, a few steel fabricator, making trailers and only thing they needed, but, but it mostly trailers and sheds, you okay? can. Mm-hmm. For all the smiddy work it was mere or less skinny of finish.
1: Jenny, I find this wee Victorian nursery rhyme about blacksmiths that's meant to soothe young children whilst you're putting on and off your shoes, so getting them ready for the school run. So shall we put your booties on, Jenny?
0: Please, my feet are very cold. Jim Smith, a fellow fine, cam to shoe a horse o' oh mine? Pit a bit upon the tail to gar the horsey, climb the bray. Pit a bit upon the broad to gar the horsey, climb the road. Pit a bit upon the heel to gar the horsey, trot wheel. <laughs> oh man, if only I was a child again. <laughs> oh, dear me. But now it also means that whenever we leave the house... You can be singing me that while I put your shoes on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we all know who ties whose shoelaces in this household, Jenny. (laughs) The Kelpie. (laughs) The Kelpie. (laughs) Annie, (laughs) Annie, Annie. (laughs) I'll put your shoes on for you. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Kelpie. (laughs) No problem. (laughs) (laughs) Jingle.
0: I love about the stories of the blacksmith and the smiddy is that they show us how this working class person can shape the whole world with iron and fire. Throughout history the smiddy has played a crucial role in the development of society as we know it from making weapons for soldiers to defend a kingdom to making farm tools to feed an entire country essentially. The smiddy is at the centre of the rural world and therefore the entire world.
1: Yes and it's no wonder that Everything which is connected to the smithy, the iron, the fire, the horseshoe, these all become layered in mythologies and legend, because these are all essential for the fundamental functioning of pre-industrial Scotland.
0: And again we see the ways in which mechanisation has changed the very structure of our society. The interwoven nature of so many professions meant that if one changed, it had a knock-on effect and so many others did too. Farming relied on the blacksmiths, and when the farming mechanised, the smithies were almost totally wiped out.
1: Yes, and we can see the same thing happening again with automation nowadays. It's like waves of societal change coming through, where some professions are going to suffer from the progression of technology. I think it's safe to say that there's no farmer nowadays who would dream of going back to the days before mechanisation. Change is inevitable but it's important that we keep these rural skills alive. And smiddies still do plenty of incredible work, from commissions for making traditional gates and equipment, to artisan sculptures and crafts.
0: Yes, and I feel your papa definitely had a few lucky horseshoes tucked in his back pocket all through his career, from getting his smithy for free to the job he landed up in Codder, which brought him up here and essentially the reason why you were from the Highlands, which is really, really cool. true. And even upon his retirement, he rode the last waves of the blacksmiths and retired just in time. It was definitely the lucky horseshoes, I think. (laughs) Or maybe Kelpie shoes. Maybe he's got a couple of Kelpie shoes in his pocket. They're meant to be super magical.
1: (laughs) Well, I find it really interesting when my papa said that it was most important to be an honest man Because there's actually an ancient Highland custom of swearing your oath, swearing your most truest promise over cold steel or iron. Yes, there was a
0: faith in the magical power of steel and iron against evil meaning fairies or ghosts, as we saw with that that sneaky little Kelpie. (laughs) Um, I guess it means that oaths and promises made over iron are the most honest and true because otherwise all the realms of fairies could rise against you and smite you.
1: Well, iron and honest men must go hand in hand then. And luck by the looks of it. (laughs) (laughs) So shall we finish with a couple of verses from an American poem by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow called The Village Blacksmith. So this poem goes out to all of our wonderful American listeners. Hello! We really appreciate your support across the pond, and thank you. So many of them have got in touch with us recently, and so many of them have supported us right from the beginning. Yes,
0: you guys are amazing, and I love America, and miss it dearly.
1: let's put this one out to our Megan listeners, and of course, my darling Papa. Yes. Under
0: a spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands. The smith, a mighty man, is he, with large and sinewy hands and the muscles of his brawny arms are as strong as iron bands.
1: His hair is crisp and black and long, his face is like the tan. His brow is wet with honest sweat, he earns whatever he can. And he looks the whole world in the face, for he owes not any man.
0: And children coming home from school look in the open door. They love to see the flaming forge and hear the bellows roar and catch the burning sparks that fly like chaff from a threshing floor.
1: Thanks, thanks to thee, my worthy friend, for the lesson now has taught. Thus at the flaming forge of life, our fortunes must be wrought. Yeah. Thus on, its sounding anvil shaped, each burning deed and thought. That was lovely. That was really that great. That was lovely. And
0: significantly easier to read than Scott's poems. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Stories of Scotland. It was really special for me because I feel I feel like these traditional professions from the, the smiddy to the sailor to the crofter, they're all so wrapped in mythology that I love and that I think makes this place very special. Mm-hmm and it's just it's it's gone into my heart this episode Yep. but yes thank you for listening yep and if you enjoyed us please give us a review it helps us a lot on
0: whatever platform you listen on also we have facebook annie loves posting stuff on there um we have instagram i post things on there too usually annie doesn't check them which is quite fun (laughs) and yeah twitter everything else give us a like give us a follow give us a share
1: slangeva slangeva most prominent memories from my childhood yeah i think i think i suppressed it until (laughs) until the salted caramel trend started
0: yes good trend
1: so when i was wee my papa had cows Mm -hmm. and i must have been i must have been just older than a toddler just a wee (laughs) burn. i used to follow my papa around when he went out to the cows and In the field, they had a big ball mineral lick for the cows, (laughs) and it's how the cows get all of their their delicious... um, So they don't get rickets. Salts and minerals, yeah. Keep them nice and healthy and strong. And they flavour it with treacle, so the cows will lick the ball and it will dip itself in treacle, and they'll keep licking it, moving it with their tongue. Oh my gosh. And my papa thought he'd give me a treat. But he didn't have any sweeties so he'd say to me oh just go and lick the cow <laughs> the cow <laughs> no. mineral lick and I thought it was delicious because it just tasted like salty treacle yeah Thing about this is this didn't just happen once Jenny <laughs> is that what that is in our back garden
0: I've yeah. always wondered why you're out there at like 3am
1: <laughs> and sometimes I'd see the cows licking uh, the mineral lick and I'd be thinking to myself what's that kai doing licking my minerals <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, thanks Mabba.
0: Thanks, Papa.